Acts 18, starting at verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, and through knowledge of the Scriptures, now with thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then continuing in chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Well, I am so excited to be kicking off this new series and particularly excited about this first message of it. But uh, we are launching into a brand new series today that's uh, looking at, it's called People of the Way, and it's looking at a particular People of the Way in a city called, an ancient city, called Ephesus. And uh, this is not a study of the book of Ephesians, if you're familiar with that, uh, though we will touch on that through this. It's, It's a study of the church in Ephesus to whom that letter was written. But that's not the only thing that we know about that people. And, and long before we were called Christians, uh, we were called, they used to refer to themselves as ecclesia, ecclesia, a gathering, an assembly. And, and they referred to their faith as the hados or the way. And it was, it was Jesus' way. And it was his way, and they were following in that way, and that's how they identified themselves. And, and there was a particular group of people who identified themselves that way that were found in this ancient city of Ephesus. Now, why are we going to spend so much time looking at this particular church that existed 2,000 years ago, you know, almost? Why this one? Uh, well, first of all, I would say we probably know more about, we get more snapshots of this little local church than we do of any other ancient church. This is you know, one of the original churches planted by the first generation of believers and the apostles. And so this is one of those, there's one of many of those churches, but this one in particular we get a lot of little snapshots at throughout our New Testament. And so maybe in, there's a sense in which we know more about this little body of believers than we do of any other particular local church from that time period. And also their story is extraordinary. And maybe in part because their city was an extraordinary city. 
And so before we really go much further, I just want us to have kind of a picture of what this place was like, what these people would have been like. And so I'm going to show you a little video. This is a, a pastor named Jeff Mannion. And he went, uh, he did this series several years ago and that his church sent him over to, I don't know if they sent him or if he just went or how he got over there, but he got over there to, to Ephesus, you know, and to, he actually traveled to several of these ancient sites that we see in our Bible and recorded just some information about it. And, and you get to see the, the city as he talks about it. And so just a couple minute video here showing you and kind of setting the scene for uh, this the city and what it, and the and just the cultural context of it, and if the, if the music sounds familiar, we borrowed our graphics from their series. It was also called People of the Way, uh, except their series was more wrapped around the Book of Ephesians, and ours is going to be a little different than that. But um, anyhow, take a look at this Jeff Mannion talking about the city of Ephesus. <laughs> Ephesus in western Turkey. In the first century, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the world and it dominated trade along the Aegean coastline. Uh, let's take a quick tour of the city together. The most impressive restoration in Ephesus is the facade of the Celsus Library. It's reported that over 12,000 volumes occupied the three floors. And outside are statues representing wisdom, virtue, intelligence, and knowledge. These statues represented the values of the library. Now, to the right of the Celsus Library is a monumental triple archway. This was the entrance into the Agora, the marketplace. Over the years, the theater in Ephesus was expanded to offer seating to 25,000 people. And the stage building was originally three stories tall. Now, on the opposite end of the city from the theater is the State Agora. Now, these were the, uh, the administrative offices for the entire region. There was a triple stoa, that is a covered walkway with three lanes. And this joined the administrative buildings with a large open courtyard. But the most significant building in the region was the Temple of Artemis, which was just outside the city of Ephesus. Uh, the Temple of Artemis is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was massive. I mean, in size, it was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. The Temple of Artemis had 127 marble pillars that rose 60 feet into the air. It may have been the largest building in the world. You know, it's uh, no surprise to us at all that the city of Ephesus would be such a strategic location for the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire. It was an impressive city. It was an impressive uh, beginning for a church as these, these, this little small group of people that we're going to begin reading about today. They, they didn't have Bibles. You know, they didn't have, all they had was, you know, eyewitness accounts of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. They had the teachings of, of Jesus just by word of mouth through his apostles and, and the others who had learned from the apostles. And, 
And, you know, they didn't have technology. They didn't have uh, any kind of vote or say in their government. They didn't have much, but they still managed to turn their city on its head in just two or three years' time. And, and they became a, a significant church, and, and many churches cropped up all around the region, probably because of the influence of the church in Ephesus. And yet, just in a few decades, we find that uh, they, in many ways, may have lost their way a little and so we're going to, this is not a perfect people we're looking at, but this is a, just a snapshot of the early church. As we consider, you know, maybe what are some things that maybe we've forgotten about? Some basics that maybe we've forgotten about in 2,000 years since the first churches cropped up. And let's just kind of go back in time and, and consider these people and consider this church, you know, but... Before I go any further, I think I might need to just put... Does anyone have maybe some ingredients I could put together a little snack here before I keep going? You know, I just need to get the blood sugar up a little bit. Uh, anybody Anybody have... A PB&J? Okay. All right. We got, we got some bread. Thank you. I promise it's good. Okay. All right, so I could make a, she said a PB and what? A PB and J. Well, I've got, I've got bread. That's something. I guess that, I guess that'll work for a a PB and J. Peanut butter? Uh, I need peanut butter. I need peanut butter for a PB and J. Maybe that's the PB. That would make sense. Peanut butter. PB and J. I guess I'll just put this on there. Jelly. This is sounding good. P- PB and J. I'm liking the sounds of this. All right, we got bread, we got peanut butter, we got jelly. That's the makings of a snack right there that can get me through this message. Uh, All right, obviously that's kind of crazy. But uh, all that to say, see how much stuff I can stash under this thing. (laughs) I've got offers to hold it. uh, Yeah. You know, in a way, the, the early church in Ephesus... We're going to, in the account we read about today, they got the recipe, if you will, of the gospel, but they got it in stages. You know, they had never heard of a PB and J before. <laughs> okay, and uh, so first they were handed some bread, and they're like, "Hey, good, you know, we're good to go." And then someone came along and said, "Hey, you might need some peanut butter with that." And like, oh, okay, we got this, we got this. And then finally, someone comes along with the final ingredient that, oh, that brings it together. You know, you can't have a PB and J without the J, right? We've got to have the jelly. And so, so it is that they needed the whole recipe. They needed all the ingredients there. And until the last one, until the last piece got there, it was, there was something incomplete about it and about their faith. And I have a feeling that many of us, many of us who are Christians today, we, we know the whole recipe. We know all the ingredients. In many ways, you know, we know a lot more than, than most of the early believers did because, I mean, we have more in our smartphones than they had access to at all. Except, of course, with the exceptions of the apostles. If you could get a hold of one of them, of course, they, they 
were the original bearers of this gospel and they were the, the eyewitnesses and so forth. But, but man, they had parts of it, but not all of it. And I feel like a lot of us as Christians, we live with part of the recipe, but not all of it. We, we may know it all, but sometimes we're told so much and we get so much information when we come to church or when we're in a class or whatever and we study our Bibles and we have access to so much and it can be overwhelming at times. And sometimes we forget about some of the fundamental pieces of the gospel and especially the last one, which is the one that really brought it together for them. And that's the one that I want us to talk about today. And so if you're here today and you're ever frustrated with your spiritual journey, with, with your faith, if you're ever frustrated and feel like you know, you've just about given up on making much progress towards looking like Jesus, or it's just going really slow for you, and it's just a struggle, and you feel like you're having to just try harder, try harder, try harder, and it's not making much difference for you. If you, if you maybe have just kind of satisfied yourself with showing up to church and participating a little, and, and maybe that's what it's all about, you know, this message is for you. And if, if you're one of those people who, like me, feel like, man, the church doesn't seem to be making the difference that I feel it ought to be making in our world and in our community and in our lives, then maybe it is that we have misplaced the final ingredient. And we need to turn our eyes and see to this early church as they sought to learn the way. You know, they were the people of the way, but they first had to learn the way. And let's relearn with them the fundamentals of the gospel. And let's not leave out the important last ingredient as we do. And maybe it'll help us with some of our frustrations and our challenges as a church. Now, what we read a few moments ago was not instruction to the church, as we so often read. These were not the teachings of Jesus or of the apostles. This was not a letter written to a church to explain to them how they can better be the church. This is just an account of something that happened. Uh, And in fact, the book of Acts is full of a lot of these accounts of the early church. It's a really interesting book. I would say second only to the Gospels in interestingness. All right. It's it's the accounts of what the apostles went out and did and then what the early church did and looked like. And and it's just a really fascinating read. And we read part of it today. And what we read actually kind of took place uh, around 50, 52, 53 A.D. from what we can gather uh, from historical landmarks, if you will. And so what it's really about, what we're really going to look at today is, is three characters. One of them is really more of a, a couple than a character. But three characters, and each of them were involved in helping these Ephesians learn the way. And so we're just going to kind of take one at a time. Now, of course, the most famous one was Paul. And we'll save him for last. The first one that we're kind of introduced to is a guy named Apollos. Now, if you've read in the New Testament much, you may have run across that name a time or two. He was a, a prominent teacher. He was not an apostle, but a prominent teacher and evangelist for the gospel in those early days. And we're not told a lot about him, but we are told a little about him. And now, don't confuse this with Apollo, the Greek god, all right? He's just, this is Apollos, 
the Grecian Jew, not the Greek God. So here's what we're told here about him. We're told, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, we're not told a whole lot about Apollos, but from the little bit that we are told, we can gather something. Uh, Just the fact that he was from Alexandria actually tells us quite a bit. Alexandria, if you're not familiar with it, was a, a famous ancient city. You might guess was named after a famous guy, Alexander the Great. All right, Alexander the Great founded this city. He, in fact, he hired people to design it and build it. They spared no expense. It was artistically designed. It was, it was an amazing city. Not only architecturally, but this was a city, unlike most of the world at that day, that was kind of a melting pot of types of people and people of all different cultures and backgrounds moved there and settled there and ideas were welcomed and in fact the Jews there enjoyed more freedom and privilege and prestige than they did anywhere else in the world at that time. There they enjoyed freedom of expression of their Jewish faith and acceptance and leadership positions and things that they weren't granted elsewhere and so the Alexandrian Jews were kind of a special group of people. And they would have had access to a lot of learning and things that most Jews wouldn't have had access to. And we're told that this Apollos was a brilliant guy. He, he, would, he had studied the scriptures, their scriptures, which are like our Old, Old Testament. He had studied them. And not only that, he had, he had heard about Jesus somehow. And we don't know exactly how. Tradition kind of holds that that Mark, you know, like Mark's gospel, that Mark uh, traveled to Alexandria with the gospel first, but we don't know for sure who told Apollos about it. And, uh, but what we do know is that when he heard about Jesus, he became impassioned and excited about it, and he felt a calling on his life to do what Paul felt a calling on his life to do, and that was travel around to places that hadn't heard about Jesus and tell them about Jesus. And he didn't know much. But he knew about Jesus. He knew something. And he had to get it out. And it's worth noting, just as an aside today, that we who know so much more than Apollos did, sometimes lack even a fraction of the fervor and the passion for the gospel that Apollos had. And I'm not saying that we're all called to be brilliant orators and scholars and and evangelists in the way that Apollos did. But man, hopefully and prayerfully, let's pray that a passion is ignited in us similar to the passion that struck Apollos as he heard about Jesus, even though he only heard a little bit about him. What he did know, he spoke accurately and he went and shared it. Just to give you kind of some some idea of what's going on here. Uh, The Nile River empties from Egypt right, here's my finger, right about here, that's the Nile, uh, coming into the Mediterranean Sea. And Alexandria was located right there at the mouth of the Nile. It was a great city. It was uh, also home to one of the seven wonders of the world. You know, Ephesus had the Temple of Artemis, this huge 
temple. Amazing. I don't even know how they put that together in that day with that technology. It's insane. But Alexandria was home of one of the tallest buildings that had ever been constructed. And that was the lighthouse in Alexandria. And uh, it's kind of torn apart and underwater now. But in that day, it would have been incredible to behold as you came into their harbor. And so, Apollos traveled from Alexandria up to Ephesus. Now, these are major cities. I mean, this is like, you know, New York City and London and Los Angeles today and all those kinds of cities. That's these kinds of cities. So, he's traveling from a major city to another major city with the gospel. And he tells them what he knows. Now, when he gets there, he meets another character, another set of characters, if you will, the second group of people. And they're called Aquila and Priscilla, or oftentimes Priscilla and Aquila, which is saying something in that day that the, she must have been a pretty dynamic personality because her name comes first a lot of times in a day that you know, women didn't come first on much of anything in a lot of ways. And so, but the Bible's always bucking the trends on stuff like that. And so he runs into them in Ephesus. Now we've got to back up just a little bit to get their story. See, around 50 AD, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, got frustrated with the Jews and the Christians, and he couldn't sort out what in the world the difference was and what was the problem. And there was some upset in Rome over this whole Christianity thing already at 50 AD. And, and so he just kicked out all the Jews. Said, you're all out. And it was pretty brutal. And, I mean, you know, thousands of refugees leaving Rome, homeless. And Aquila and Priscilla were one of those couples. They left, and they traveled to Corinth, which was, you can see Corinth over here, just near Athens, uh, in Greece. And it was another major city. And so they traveled to Corinth and began, they were tent makers, so they were making tents in Corinth. And that's where they ran into the Apostle Paul. And we don't know if they knew about Jesus before they met Paul, but we know they knew about him after they met Paul, because Paul was all about Jesus, right? And so uh, he struck up this friendship with him. He was also a tent maker, and, and they spent a year or so with Paul in Corinth, learning about Jesus and making tents. Well, then Paul says, I've got to go back to my home church, my base camp, if you will. He had a church that had sent him out as a missionary, and that church was in Antioch. All right, So he had to travel from Corinth to Antioch, and to do that, he had a layover in Ephesus. All right? The boat took him to Ephesus, and, uh, and so he's there, and Aquila and Priscilla decided to go that far with him. I don't know if it was for commercial reasons, if the tent market had dried up in Corinth and they thought they'd try Ephesus, or if it was a missional thing, they wanted to take the gospel, help him take it to Ephesus, I don't know. But he drops them off in Ephesus. And of course, while Paul's waiting at the terminal, he takes that opportunity to share a little bit about Jesus, but then they say, won't you stay and tell us more? He said, no, I'll try to come back later. I've got to get home to my home church. Okay, so he leaves, Apollos comes and does his thing, where he tells them everything he knows about Jesus. Well, Aquila and Priscilla, they hear Apollos, this brilliant guy, this upstanding Jew from Alexandria, speaking boldly and accurately about Jesus. But they're listening and they're like, man, he doesn't really have the whole story. And these people that are interested in what Apollos has to say, and they're, they're also believing in Jesus, but they're not getting the whole story. You know, they're just getting the bread. 
And, and Aquila and Priscilla sit down. They invite him to the, to Apollos to their home and they sit him down and they say, let us fill in a few gaps for you here because we've been spending time with the Apostle Paul. Wow, you've been spending time with an Apostle. And, and so it is that a couple of tent makers sat down to teach this brilliant scholar a few things about the way. And it's interesting to think about, again, you know, oftentimes the Bible gets criticized for being like anti-women's rights or something, but that couldn't be further from the truth when you understand the cultural context and you think about a situation like this where a, a brilliant scholar is sitting under and learning from a, a woman. And that just wouldn't happen in many movements, but it happened time and again in the Jesus movement of that day. And so maybe they sat down and said something to him along the lines of, you know, hey, Apollos, this isn't, I mean, you're just talking about the baptism of John. And the baptism of John was important. It was about repentance. And, and, you know, but this isn't just about repentance. Jesus died for us. He rose again so that we can have you know, literally have our sins forgiven. No more sacrifices. He was the final one. And we can have a hope for our future. So this is more than just repentance. This is more than just Jesus is the Messiah. This is about salvation. We don't know exactly what they told him, but maybe they filled in some gaps for him like that and gave him a little more information. And then they send Apollos on and he begins teaching in other regions and and winning more souls for Christ. And Paul eventually makes it back to town. He comes from Antioch and he travels up through Turkey there and ends up in Ephesus. And he spent more time in Ephesus than he spent anywhere else that we have a record of. And here's the conversation that Paul had when he showed up. He asked these believers. He found about a dozen dudes and we don't know how many women and children there but probably at least that many of them. and he, So just kind of a small group, a small church. He found them already there, so I'm sure that was a pleasant surprise for him. And the first thing he asks them is, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> we, I didn't even know that jelly went on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, we'd never even heard of what the J was. We, no. And so Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we're told that the Apostle Paul laid his hands on them and prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And boy, things really took off after that in Ephesus. But they had been getting the gospel in pieces. But the last piece had been left out. Until Paul showed up to complete their training, as it were. And it's almost like, man, you know, Apollos should have known better. He should have known better because if he knew John the Baptist, then surely he knew that John the Baptist pointed the way to someone else. And John the Baptist used to say things like, you know, I baptize you with water, but... He, the he who's coming next, he who I'm pointing you to, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, and Jesus would later tell his apostles, right before he ascended into heaven, as he was leaving them final instructions, he said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, how, for whatever reason, Apollos' information was incomplete. And he didn't know about this final piece of the puzzle. And the church in Ephesus had never heard about a Holy Spirit. And it's almost like Paul comes to them and he says, This isn't just about you living for God. This is about God living in you. This is a different ball game than what you've ever played before. This is not, the world does not need another religion. We have enough religions. This isn't just about you trying to live a good life. This is about something more than that. This is about God living in you. Our faith is something more than that because Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just teach us a better way. He rose again and he promised us the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit came and we know what happened when the Holy Spirit came on those first believers when they were obedient to wait as Jesus had told them to until the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit came on them and the church was launched in pretty spectacular fashion and the world has never been the same since. But we can imagine what would have happened if they hadn't waited for the Holy Spirit, and if they just tried to do it on human effort, I would propose to you today that the church in Ephesus never would have existed, that we would have never existed, had they not relied on the Holy Spirit and waited on His filling and His empowerment and relied on Him each step of the way for the power that they needed to do this movement because this was not just another religion, it was a movement. It was a kingdom movement. It was, you know, Jesus wasn't just wanting to, to raise up some better people. He was wanting to change the world. And that ultimately happens when he returns, but it happens through his church, who are his hands and feet each step of the way. And it can't happen by our own power. It can't happen by human effort. It can only happen by God's power. And that power is available to us, Scripture teaches, through the person of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, is your faith a lot of religion, but not much power? Is your faith, has your faith been a lot of religion, but not much power? A lot of coming and doing and saying the right things and trying to do the right things and, and trying to be a moral and good person, but not really relying much on the Holy Spirit, not even really thinking much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, I mean, He's in there, but... You know, we're, we're told that he you know, lives in every believer, but I don't really think about him much. I don't really rely on his power much. Mine's more about just my effort to live for God more than it is about God living in me. I wonder how many of us could identify with that today. I wonder how many of us would say, you know, maybe in a sense, oh sure, we, we have the knowledge you know, like I say, we've got more knowledge in our, in our smartphones, most of us that have them, uh, than biblical knowledge than they had. We've got it right at our fingertips. We've heard about the Holy Spirit, whereas they had never heard about the Holy Spirit. But has the Holy Spirit just kind of gotten lost in the mix? And, and we don't, I mean, this was the final piece. I mean, the first thing Paul said when he showed up, right? It was, okay, you're following Jesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what Holy Spirit? No, we've just been told about repentance, you know, and, and how we need to turn from our old way of life and, and live in a new way of life. And Paul, like, yeah, that's great. That's great. But there's more. 
You're not supposed to do that by your own strength. This isn't just about you living for God. It's about God living in you. What has your faith been like so far? Has it been mostly a pursuit of morals, pursuit of you know, a better you? By your own strength and just trying to do your best each day to live Jesus' way? Or do you make it a point in your life to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to all believers through Jesus Christ our Lord? Now, today I want to ask in just a few minutes that if you would like to rely more on the Holy Spirit's power in your life, if you'd come down and we're going to have a moment in our service here before we sing some more songs that we're going to just pray together, those of us, anyone who wants to, that God, that His Holy Spirit would fill us anew. There's, there's no rules against asking the Holy Spirit to fill you freshly, and anew, and, and to help us rely on His power and His strength for this life to which He's called us to live. And so we're going to do that in a few moments. And I just wonder how many of you have ever had that happen? How many of you have ever had a moment where you know, someone laid their hand on you and asked that the Holy Spirit fill your life? We see it time and again in our New Testaments. And until just a couple generations ago, we saw it in the Church of God a lot. Uh, I, you know, I guess maybe it was the, the Pentecostal movement or the charismatic movement that kind of a lot of churches wanted to distance themselves from some things that they didn't feel like were all theologically accurate. And so for whatever reason, we stopped doing a lot of that. But like my grandmother's generation, she said, yeah, I, I went down front and, and the elders of the church, you know, prayed over me and asked that I'd receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power to live my life. And, and that's why, you know, this... In the New Testament, oftentimes is accompanied with baptism. And that's why whenever we baptize someone, we also bring them down front here at the end of the service. We give them their certificate, but we also pray over them. And we ask that God would fill them with His Holy Spirit because this life was never meant to be lived. You know, this way, this people of the way, we're never meant to do this of our own strength. But by God living in us and giving us the strength to live out His faith. So what about you? And just to be clear, I'm not suggesting today that there is a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit. Because even in our New Testament, there's a lot of different ways and unexpected ways that the Holy Spirit comes on people. Um, Nor am I trying to put the Holy Spirit in a box and say that every time this happens, it looks like this. That's not the case in the New Testament. It certainly hasn't been the case in history. I'm not trying to say that Uh, That I'm some Holy Spirit dispensing Superman. I'm just saying, let's get back to the basics of our and the fundamentals of our faith, where we relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, and this thing was not just another religion, but it was about God living in us. The New Testament calls believers temples. The reason it calls us temples is because God, His Spirit, takes up residence. In us. It's miraculous. It's amazing. But that is why the church spread like it did. That's why it turned the world on its head like it did. 
And so this message today is not just because I want you to enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, though I do. It's not just because I want the Holy Spirit to do something amazing through our church, though I do. It's just about getting back to the things that set us apart from the beginning. And the thing that set the church apart from the beginning was the Holy Spirit empowering us to live Jesus' way and to lift the name of Jesus up. This was what empowered the church to such radical unity and care and compassion for one another and for the world around them. This is what helped them put sin in their life to death and to live in a new way for Jesus that stood in stark contrast to the world around them. This was not something they could do of their own strength. They needed to rely on the Holy Spirit to do it. And I believe that we'll never look a whole lot different from our culture until we learn to rely on the Holy Spirit's empowerment of our lives to live out what we say we believe. Because it's not easy to do it when we just rely on our own power and our own strength. So what we're going to do is, is I'm just going to invite you to come if you'd like to come. And, and this is Paul. This is Paul coming to us and saying, you know, you've just been doing the repentance thing. <laughs> you've been just trying to live a better life. This is more than that. This is about a Holy Spirit thing. This is about the spirit that Jesus left us to empower us to live that way. You need that final ingredient in your life if you want to follow Jesus in a powerful way, the way he intended us to from the beginning. So I'm going to invite you, if you want to come, just to come and stand down here at the front. You certainly don't have to, but if you would, and, and Larry's going to play some, just some instrumental music for a moment, and we're going to end our message this way instead of just me praying a prayer and you sitting there. We're just, if you'd like to take a step of faith, come on down, and let's just pray together uh, and ask that the Holy Spirit would empower us, that we just encourage one another to rely on His strength in our life. You know, if you've been frustrated, come on down. If you, if you feel like, you know, man, I, I just need more power in my life. I don't want to just be doing this of my own strength. I need the Spirit's strength in me. Let's pray together. If you're not able to come, we completely understand we're going to pray for you too. But if you're able... Come. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that ours is not just another religion. Our faith is accompanied by power because Jesus didn't just die for our sins, he rose from the dead. He's alive today and He sits at the right hand of the Father. And you, O oh God, have poured out your Spirit from generation to generation of believers, of people who have called on the name of Jesus and have strived in your power to live that way. And God, we want to confess today that too often we've tried to do this life of our own power and of our own strength. And we here standing before you today want to just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us again. That you'd fill us in a fresh way. 
that we might know your power and your strength and that this life that we're living would not be something that we're just trying to live by our own power and our own strength. We know how futile that can be. But it would be something that we are living by your power and by your strength. God, take up residence in us that the world might see a radically different people shaped by the Jesus way, shaped by unity, shaped by caring and compassion that they don't see anywhere else in the world, shaped by a different lifestyle that stands in stark contrast to the world all around us. God, it's not possible without your strength, without your Holy Spirit. And so we're gathered here together to pray together as one people, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in us. You're welcome in our midst every time we gather. You're welcomed in our bodies as we go from this place and as we strive to live for you in our workplaces and in our homes and in our families. God, make a difference in us by your power and your strength. Help us to rely on you more and more each day in our prayers and in just our focus each day that we would go through life humbly recognizing that we need your spirit. And we pray these things by the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.